you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpocyclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Network on iHeartMedia. Before we begin, I want to give some thanks to our team. Thank you, Grace and Co. for our graphics, Pepper Chambers for writing, Angelo Greco and Anna Mesa for managing our social media, Tiffany Hale for everything, Erica England for Patreon support, and our production team at Large Media. That's L-A-R-J-Media.com. I am so excited about the fact that we have done an entire series about COVID in the Black community. Today for our special COVID series, we're taking a look at how we got here with Dr. Gregory Carr, Associate Professor and Chair at Howard University's Department of Afro-American Studies. We're putting culture at the center and we take a hard look at the past with hope for the future. Crossing the color lines. Episode one. How you doing, Hi, Jill? Dr. Carr. Yeah, call me Greg. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, we will not do any such thing. <laughs> you earned that degree, baby. You, uh, That's know. all right. That's all right. We, we all know that ain't <laughs> worth the papers printed on if I ain't doing nothing with it. So, well, but you, you are doing something with it. So, you know, Dr. Carr, I'm gonna just stop right there because you make me think about Charles Hamilton Houston. Oh, you know, you, you know, you're making me. I just got the pause in the bio. Come on, you, Senator. You no question. The great one, the man who killed Jim Crow, as they called him. 
the author of yes. Brown versus the Board of Education. He didn't live right to see it through, but he, That's all right. he planted and cultivated some seeds before yes. he left this earth. The yes. teacher, the professor of one of the greatest Supreme Court justices to ever wear the black robe, baby. Come on, and that's now. Justice Thurgood Marshall. That's right. That's right. And if it hadn't been for racism, he'd have had a couple more. Spotswood Robinson was one of his, and he would have been on the Supreme Court. He got stuck at the U.S. Court of Appeals. Isn't it ironic that when Merrick Garland is confirmed as attorney general, there will be an open seat on the same court? that one of Charlie Houston's students, Spotswood Robinson was the chief judge. When Robinson was the judge on that court, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on that court, Antonin Scalia was on that court, Robert Bork was on that court, and Spotswood Robinson, one of Charlie Houston's boys, was the chief judge. But of course, that vacancy, we're looking at Kentaji Jackson, aren't we? So uh, yes. that she'll be, she, she, if they put her there and they better, she'll be sitting on the same court as one of Charles Hamilton Houston's students. Hopefully she won't get too comfortable there because I think there's one more maybe promotion. We hope that sister will be getting soon. So amen to that. <laughs> Go on and I mean, tell it to us. And one of the reasons, like, I mean, I, I love and admire Charles Hemp, uh, Professor Houston so very much. And not a lot of people know about him because, you know, we're kind of yeah. like the, the one. There only could be one. And Justice Thurgood Marshall deserves all the uplift and praise. But we are who we are because of who our ancestors were and who and the people that pour into us. They didn't even have to be ancestors at the time. But the people that pour into us and Professor Houston poured into his law students at Howard. And I don't have this quote just right. I think you know where I'm going. But he said the black law students, you know, it ain't enough to be sitting up here in this classroom. You want to be a big time lawyer. I'm paraphrasing him. That's but right. he said, you, you got to care about your community. And if you don't care about your community, you a parasite. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. He said a lawyer a is either he's either a social, social engin engineer. Yes. That's right. He, he, he or she and there were she's, of course, the yes. great pa Polly Marshall. Uh, you know, you think about that when he was at the NAACP uh, Legal Defense Fund. I mean, the woman who became, of course, a judge at, at one point in New York, the great Constance Baker Motley. Yes. So, yeah, if a, if a woman or man is not a social engineer, you're a lawyer, you're a parasite yes. on society. You yes. didn't, he, there's no gray area. <laughs> no, no, no gray. He was he made that plain. Yeah, it was crystal clear. Yes, and, and I think that should be expanded through all professions that if you are not there for the greater good and the uplift of your people, and that was a special message to Black people, but there's a universal uh, con context to that. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. In fact, and in fact, I, I meant to say uh, Polly Murray, not Polly Marshall. Polly Marshall, the Paul uh -huh. Marshall is the great novelist. Polly Murray was the sister who, uh, who uh, and she was a member of the same uh, faith tradition as Thurgood Marshall. And in that tradition, they've both been lifted to, they've been canonized. They're saints in that tradition. They have saint oh. days. Yeah, Polly Murray and Thurgood Marshall. But um, you're right. It wasn't just about Black folk. Um, when Charles Houston was the vice dean at Howard, for example, Clarence Darrow from the Scopes Monkey Trial. And all these, yes. Cl Clarence Darrow came to speak to the Howard students. In fact, one of the things that those students were known for was their... Uh, their deep training and their commitment to literally transform the country from uh, from the bar. And so the respect for those black students uh, really stretched beyond the black community in many ways. So, yeah. 
And you know what? That has been the journey of Black people that what is good for us has always stretched well beyond our community. Can yes, I get a hello, somebody? Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. <laughs> hello, so, Doc, everybody. Just, hello, everybody. So we no get on into this. So we're talking about COVID and the specialized bandage point because we're painting a picture in this series. We want people to understand what is going on. And for this particular segment, some of the hesitancy in the black community. It's not just exclusively the black community that is hesitant, but we are especially hesitant. And so I couldn't, we couldn't think of a better person to really kind of help us wrap our minds around this hesitancy and get an understanding from a historic vantage point. And so, you know, the historic perspective, as you see it, why is it that the black community is, we not just this is not just anecdotal. We got the empirical evidence too. Oh, of course, more yeah. hesitant to take the, the the vaccine. To one to believe in it, two to take it, and then thirdly, we're also dealing with why they want us to get this first. They must be experimenting on us. <laughs> <laughs> so, can exactly. you walk us through that? Exactly. Like, something wrong. This ain't how this usually go. We always no, laugh. Why always they want last. us to go first? That's yeah. right. That's exactly right. Um. Well, I mean. I think if we had to boil it down to one word, it would be experience. Um, This is not irrational behavior. In fact, it's really the only rational behavior that you could imagine coming from a community that literally came into this American experiment as property. Yes. And so Black folk entered what has become the United States of America in a field of violence. There was no sheltered rear. And so the only thing that uh, we were brought into this experiment to do was to work. And the only thing that was valuable was our bodies and the labor from those bodies. So we have from the beginning to now had a relationship in this country that was never uh, on completely sound footing. Uh, Every gain we've made, you know, none of those gains have been irreversible. And our relationship is more has been defined more by our status as uh, somehow less than full citizen, which means less than full legal person. Mm-hmm. So our suspicion of the government is rational. I mean, it's not even I mean, it's not even people say, well, you shouldn't be suspicious of the government. And my answer is, OK, could you walk me through when the government treated black people in a way that would not engender suspicion if you were black? And there That's tends right. to be a lot of silence after that. So. Now, as it relates to disease in particular, obviously uh, enslaved people uh, would be of no value if they were dead or sick. But what you then have is the trade-off of trying to make sure that they were healthy and uh, trying to make sure that they were productive. But then that means if somebody gets sick, you maybe try stuff out till you figure out what works and then you help the rest of them get well. That would be somebody like uh, a man who is credited in some ways of being the father of gynecology, J. Marion Sims, uh, who operated out of Montgomery, Alabama and basically experimented on black women with no anesthesia and, and said in the 1850s, you know, 60s, and then after the Civil War, says, uh, well, you know, black women don't feel pain like 
white women or other people. So let me just get in here because we have to make sure they can bear these children. So he's credited, for example, with being uh, the first doctor to begin to examine women. Let me look in her vagina. You know, I didn't create a tool. So he starts with a bended spoon and then he goes on and then he figures out, okay, wow, hmm, I see these cysts, let me operate. Now here's the thing, there's no anesthesia and these women are enslaved and their property. So when he's in Montgomery, the enslavers are turning over their quote unquote property to him. And when they do, the legal transfer really creates a situation where Dr. Sims, and it's crazy even calling him Dr. Sims as if that's a term of respect when he's basically sure. a mad scientist operating on black women. Dr. Yeah. Sims is, is, is legally in that moment, the owner. So he's operating on property, trying to save future property. Now, why is that important? And how does that relate to COVID? Well, you know, our people talk on the plantations. Our people talk in cities like Boston, New York, Philadelphia, where you say, well, they didn't have slavery in the North. Of course they did. Yes, yes. You know, ask Phyllis Wheatley if they had, you know, ask Richard That's Allen it. when they had to escape from Delaware to Philadelphia. And so you find our people are always put in harm's way. And so they know, look, watch for that doctor, be careful. And then you have the epidemics. I mean, this country has always faced epidemics. And as people tried to come up with cures, oh, parenthetically, I should mention, um, a brother named Onesimus. Onesimus was a guy who was enslaved when the yellow fever hit in Massachusetts back in the uh, 18th century, early 18th century. And the guy who had him enslaved, Cotton Mather, who a lot of people know in American I'm history. familiar Cotton Mather. That's Isn't right. He, he's written about in a book called Slavery by Another Name. That's exactly right. Yes, that's exactly right. Oh, it's my man's name. I, uh, Doug Blackman. Was it Douglas Blackman? I think Doug Blackman may have been the author. But yes, that's exactly right. This guy, Wanzimus, he says, you know, I've seen this disease in West Africa. This is how we do it. It was smallpox. He said, look, we take a little bit of the disease from someone who has it, introduce it into somebody who doesn't. They get sick for a little while, then they recover, and we've inoculated them. So Wanzimus is there at the beginning of one of these epidemics that hits the United States. And it's like, I know what to do for that service. He's not credited with being yeah. a founder of that. But when you have disease, who do we know they sent out first to take care of the sick, to bury the people who died? There was a yellow fever epidemic that hit Philadelphia in the eight, in the 1790s. And they said, well, black people can't really get it like white people. So they, so they, they credited black people were helping to rescue the city of Philadelphia from the yellow fever epidemic, even though black folk died from the epidemic because they forced them into the service. So yeah, we, we, we see that. We see the abuse on the plantations. We see us put in harm's way whenever there are diseases. Uh, very quickly, you come through to the Civil War, um, syphilis and I mean, whether it be yellow fever, whether it be uh, all the different types of diseases, more people died in the Civil War from disease than from gunshots or, 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 you know, from being wounded like that. And black people are in the middle of that war. And then, of course, yeah. during Reconstruction, you see the big shift. And I think that's where our suspicion, our healthy, I think, distrust of the state as it relates to intentions really takes off. Because unlike enslavement, when uh, in 1860, 1861, the beginning of the Civil War, the bodies of black women and men, just the bodies, just our bodies, were worth more than all the money in the banks and all the real property in the United States. Yes. 
So, uh, you know, a, a young Nina Turner was worth more than a young Greg Carr because when they buy you, they're basically looking at you like a human ATM. How many children can, can we get? <laughs> exactly. Yes. But yes. after the war, we are no longer property. We've been turned loose in a market economy with no resources and our labor is looked at as the thing we can contribute, but of course they're not gonna pay a fair wage. And now we don't have to even create nominal clothing and housing for you, best left to your own devices. And so the idea of our health, oh, that's of no concern. Right. That's, a, that's of no concern. So, <laughs> so sharecropping and, you know, the debt peonage and all the other tricks they came up with really what is definitely slavery by another name. That's exactly right. That is exactly yeah. right. And when it comes to healthcare and disease, well, we see the other thing happened there in the last quarter of the 19th century. We started migrating or the numbers increase uh, to the urban South, but also to the urban North. So you, when you go to that last quarter of the 19th century, 1875 to 1900 and into the 20th century, you go to a place like Baltimore, for example, and you see the rise of a guy who made all his millions in the railroads, who ends up using a lot of that wealth to basically build out much of what becomes modern Baltimore. His name is Johns Hopkins. And of course, Johns Hopkins also has a hospital as part of the university that bears yes. his name. And they are snatching bodies. They good for snatching bodies. A book called The Ghosts of John Hopkins. In Baltimore, word was out. They'll go in the graveyard and take you because they're using the cadavers over there at Johns Hopkins Hospital to experiment, to try to figure out, you know, what works, what doesn't work. And so, of course, we know, as we talk about COVID and suspicion in Black community, two of the things that Black folk have talked about for years that are now becoming more widely known, namely the Tuskegee experiment and the Henrietta Lacks situation in, in Baltimore. Henrietta, Henrietta Lacks is not the first Black victim of Johns Hopkins. <laughs> in other words, they were snatching bodies in the late 19th century. And it wasn't just black bodies, white folk, paupers, graves, this kind of thing. But as sure. usual, you know, as usual, healthcare follows class. And we are in the lower classes, the most vulnerable. And in fact, Hopkins, which is how Henry Henrietta Lacks gets caught up, Hopkins begins to offer what looks like a benefit. Maybe we'll give some access to checkups and things like that. But that's the lure because they say in exchange for that, well, you should expect poor people. You should expect black people that we might draw some of your blood. We may, you know, give you an experimental drug because we're giving you this other service free. And, and so that's why, you know, our folks just like, yo, man, I'm not going to the doctor. I mean, it's almost as if they I mean, it was ownership, but in a different way, it was more covert. Oh, it's no question. Yes. We we have always experienced a type of ownership in America whereby we were not the owners of our bodies, our souls, our minds, our agencies, none of that, because whether we are relocated to certain positions in employment. That's right. Domestics, uh, black men working the hardest, most dangerous jobs, whether it was in the coal mines or wherever they were. But we were. So even though we weren't slaves legally, it was it was definitely slavery by another name. And so, Doctor, you just really laying out. I think, I mean, this is fascinating and also fascinating in a disturbing way too. What you're laying out, oh, and what, of course, this journey that we're walking 
together and, and, and people that will listen to us and hear what you have to say about the historic dynamics between why Black people are rationally and or logically more suspicious of government and also within healthcare. So we got plenty of healthcare disparities still in the 21st century. And some of that, maybe most of that is linked to what you're talking about now. So Doc, I remember reading the article that said it was a 2016 study. I don't remember who did the study, but they interviewed medical students. 2016, I'm not talking about 1916. Right. I'm talking about 2016. And these medical students still, they, they believe that black people's skin was thicker and that black people can absorb more pain Yes. Than anybody yes. else in 2016. Oh, I think it was University of Virginia. I think I know you. Okay. Talk, that's right. That's right. Yes. Yes. Check and see. But I think that's. Yeah. 2016. I mean, Dad, talk, talk to us about that. All right. So there we were cruising through the new open air zoo when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue with its powerful DC turbo engine. Well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. So it's not just us, I mean, us as in Black people. You also have other groups who are going into the medical profession who still believe this, and that might be a doctor near you. You might be sitting in the office of a doctor who think, who believes that Black people can take more pain or that our skin is thicker. That is exactly right. That's, the, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's funny you say that because that thinking about this as a as an issue of public health or an issue of health or medicine as you've said is off track all of these things converge this is just the expression of it as it relates to healthcare but it's really about the social structure and policy being driven by this cultural grounding in anti-blackness so right. you know what makes you think that a black woman or man, a black boy or girl, somehow they don't experience pain the same way or that their skin is thick. You're in medical school for God's sake. Well, again, you go back to the beginning of the 20th century when the eugenics movement oh is moving up. It's Margaret Sanger, wasn't no Margaret Sanger? That's right. And, Margaret, and, and not just Margaret Sanger, but also some black people. If you have W.E.B. Du Bois in the debate, you have us, because what they're doing is imagining that you know, there's a way to improve society that has everything to do with hygiene, that has everything to do with exercise and diet. But there's a racist strain in there that's saying these different groups of people, and we know there's only one race, 
But right, the human race. Come exact, on, talk about it. Exactly, which is why Charles Drew was mad as hell in the 1940s. Charlie Drew uh, came out of D.C., uh, actually was born and raised not too far from Charles Hampton Houston, uh, went to the same high school as Charlie Houston, Dunbar High School. And we know uh, many times I've been to Dunbar in Dayton, you know, the Dunbar yes. was the name, you know what I'm saying? That's and, right. And Paul Dunbar in D.C. was considered the best high school for black students in the country. People would move up from other places in the country and send their children, and they would literally get off the train in D.C., go to the neighborhood at Dunbar and start knocking on doors to see if somebody would take them in as boarders. I mean, that's how bad they wanted to go to Dunbar. So Charles wow. Drew, uh, who then went off to uh, to undergrad at Amherst, same as Charlie Houston, went to medical school in Canada, becomes chief of surgeon at Howard Hospital. But he set up two of the first blood banks in England and then in the United States. Charlie Drew resigns from the American Red Cross leadership in part because they are segregating the blood. <laughs> and they're saying, OK, you have black blood. He says there is no such thing as black blood. Do you understand the blood types are not racial? And so Drew, who is one of the pioneers, one of the great figures in American medicine, literally falls out with the Red Cross over this question of segregated blood because it's not medicine, it's social policy. And right. so the eugenics movement, they're saying, you know, some of these people, some races, so to speak, should not really be allowed to reproduce. And out of that attitude comes everything from the basis for the, uh, the, the intelligence tests that we have, so when somebody says idiot, imbecile, cretin, these aren't just insults traded on schoolyard. These are literal categories based on the intelligence quotient test that they were given because they say, well, the Irish, the Italians, oh, the blacks, which then means what in terms of healthcare policy? Some people should not be allowed to reproduce. And so eventually that's going to find its way into forced sterilization by the 1930s. So right. of course, black people don't trust the damn doctor. <laughs> I'm experimenting that, I mean, Fannie Lou Hamer fell into that category. That's I mean, exactly a lot right. of story about her that we we talk about with a trailblazer that she was in, in helping blacks get the right to vote in, in uh, Mississippi, organizing uh, folks, you know, even was thrown into jail and 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 beaten by other inmates at the direction of the, the sheriff, those who led the jail, but very few people know Dr. Story about how she went in. I forget she went to the doctor for something else and uh, the doctor just decided they, he was going to give her a hysterectomy. Yes, She didn't go in there for any female problem. No, ma'am. But she came out with her uterus taken out of her body without her permission. That's right. Took and her could uterus, not conceive children. Could not conceive. Took her uterus I'm yes. so glad you mentioned Mrs. Hamer. I yeah. mean, one of our titans in world history, really, and certainly in terms of, of your work specifically, uh, an intellectual, a cultural, a political godmother. Yes. Fanny Hamer got a, had a history. That's exactly right. And, she, and that was not rare for black women. So you're going to go to the doctor? No, you don't go to the doctor. I mean, right. so people say, you, take your chances. You, you know, in fact, in fact, you just, yeah, you, you just yeah. suffer. Yeah, that's right. And so by the time you get to the well, well, let me mention this. Black folk are not just taking this, of course, uh, for every for J. Marion Sims and those racists who, he, by the way, he was a founder of the American Medical Association, which was one. And they excluded black people. Now, of course, we know there were only a couple of medical schools producing black doctors right. at the time, the most prominent being Howard and Meharry in my hometown of Nashville. So those black doctors get together and form the American Medical Association. 
And, and when you read the work of, uh, oh, what's my man's name? He wrote a book called From TB to AIDS. Um, uh, David McBride, he's at Penn State. David McBride traces the history of Black folk and, and healthcare in the United States in the 20th century. And what he shows is those Black doctors who are coming out of these HBCUs primarily and a few other places, bound together and they start intervening in terms of public health. And that's one of the ways you see black people start to soften their relationship with healthcare in this country is because they start getting medical care from people who look like them. And I think even that's one of the lessons we really need to have today. Okay, I trust you. I don't know about him. And so what you then see is of course, the same thing happens in the 1950s and 60s. These medical doctors are on the front line in healthcare. And so they're part of the civil rights movement, they organized the, the, the free public health. And so when you get to the 60s, um, certainly Ms. Hamer, um, you know, talks about working not only shoulder to shoulder with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and COFO and all the people in Mississippi, but also some of those early black doctors who are in that. In fact, there is a there's a there was a black doctor in a little town, Mount Bayou, Mississippi, which is near where Madam C.J. Walker and all them come out of Vicksburg and then across the line to Louisiana. Mount Bayou was started as an all-Black town, and there was a surgeon named T.R.M. Howard, Dr. Howard, and they had a Black benevolent association called the Knights and Daughters of Tabor, T-A-B-O-R. They started a hospital, and in fact, they were so self-sufficient that when Emmett Till was killed and his mother came down for the trial, Mamie Till from Chicago, Mamie Till had a, a, a gun a uh, gun-toting escort between the courthouse and Mount Bayou, where she was staying at TRM Howard's house. So part of part of black suspicion is also partnered with black self-defense. And when it yes. comes to healthcare, it's no different. And so by the time you get to the 70s, um, you see this deep-rooted kind of not just suspicion of the state, but healthy suspicion because the state has always mistreated black people. You then see some of these things which we think about today in, the, in this moment of COVID that is in our lifetimes. For example, right. you, I'm sure, were a little girl. I was in high school. It was my first year in high school. Remember the Atlanta child murders? Yes, I do. I know yes. you do. Every black child in the country yes. does. Because just like when Emmett Till's generation was like, after Emmett Till, black people were like, don't let that a light come on outside you not be in the house Emmett Till, that's how my grandmother <laughs> said you couldn't the street lights better not beat you no question you get back home no question this yes. because we knew we were not our, our parents knew we were not safe we we're vulnerable yes. in these streets with the state and that was of course not just in the deep south this was all over the country well when those atlanta child murders hit and it's interesting james baldwin we know baldwin of course the great jimmy baldwin we know oh, many yeah. of his novels his essays uh the last book that he wrote was a little book called The Evidence of Things Not Seen. Mm -hmm. And it's about the Atlanta child murders. And he is talking to Dick Gregory. Dick Gregory is in, he interviews Dick Gregory because what, what, what Jimmy Baldwin does go down here. I'm interviewing everybody. And, and in fact, his book and Tony K. Bambara, the great novelist, the, the last novel she did, These Bones Are Not My Child, about the Atlanta child murders. And you got these black women, these black men, working class, working poor black folk, Maynard Jackson's the mayor of Atlanta. He said, we're going to do everything we can. These poor black people are like, nah, bruh, you black, we proud, but our children are disappearing. And you know what they're saying? They're saying it's the Klan. And they're saying it's not just the Klan, 
when we talk about the Tuskegee experiment, that those 40 years between the 40s and the early 70s, when they, you know, treat, we left the uh, syphilis uh, untreated, untreated, that was the National Medical Service. Well, the National Health Service. The National Health Service doesn't exist anymore. It has another name. Mm-hmm. It's called the Center for Disease Control. Good Lord Almighty. And they're headquartered in Atlanta. And when the Atlanta child murders jumped off, the rumor started spreading that the CDC was snatching these little boys up and getting something called alpha interferon out the tips of their uncircumscribed penises. And they were experimenting. And then the FBI comes in and says, no, 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 no. We, we, we got to be. And then they convict Wayne Williams. And the evidence is so thin to this day. Black people in Atlanta is like, nah, nah, this was the claim. And you knew about it. And we don't. In fact, we're not sure the CDC wasn't in on it. I mean, so you gonna come tell somebody to roll up their sleeve and put a needle in their arm in a city of Atlanta when, okay, let me just tie that to this as well. People think about, we, we don't, I don't know if we talk enough about class in the black community. You've got a black mayor, dynamic figure, Keisha Lance Bottoms. You got these heroes. Here you have the hammer, Henry Aaron, roll up his sleeve. Mayor Andrew Young, for me, rent, roll up his sleeve, take the vaccine. The hammer passes away in his sleep a few days later. Black folk like, yeah, I'm trying to get that vaccine. Y'all know they gave Henry Aaron that vaccine and he died. It doesn't matter if his wife says it wasn't the vaccine. Nah, mm. y'all understand. I remember yeah. the Atlanta child murder. All this stuff just kind of continues. We're triggered. I mean, we 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 suffer from post-traumatic uh, stress disorder in a different way than our veterans do. You know, the the I think the fabric of it is the same. The rat, the reasoning for it is is different. Yes, for us is cultural, historic, post traumatic stress right. disorder that has been propagated on us, placed on us generation after generation. That's right. And we got to deal. We we do have to deal with that. So, Doc, let let me come back because you, woo Lord, this right here is just too hot to handle. We're gonna have to have a part <laughs> two, three, four, and five when this is no. all over. So, Doc, how do we deal with the fact that? Viruses are a natural, they're natural in the ecosystem of life, you know, the mm-hmm. virus. Some people believe the COVID was man-made, you know. Well, 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 let me just before I won't take but a second on this. We haven't even introduced the other phenomena from the 80s and 90s, the AIDS epidemic. And a lot of it has to do with Frank Snowden, who's an epidemiologist at Yale, uh brother retired now he wrote a massive book years ago called epidemics and society and he, the first page of the book he says epidemics are what happens when human beings push and encroach on the environment of other living creatures that's where these viruses come mm-hmm. from they're jumping other species but that's because we didn't push back the woods we've pushed yes. back well the environment dictates a lot of this so when hiv hit you know black folk are like it's killing us too but we don't see ourselves represented. And then of course that comes right around the same time, if you remember the crack epidemic. And of course, uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, I remember many times watching her because people in LA, they like, nah, see, we ain't got no planes. The CIA is bringing this That's in. That's exactly right. <laughs> I mean, so, so, so when you talk about the question of suspicion and you think about this as a cultural issue, I think what you just said is absolutely the way we have to reframe this entire conversation. Don't think about this in terms of a rational actor in a zero sum society where all this is written out and we think, no, if you don't put culture and society at the center of this, we'll never come up with a solution to getting our folks uh, to, to buy into the COVID vaccine. Yeah, culture at the center. 
Yeah. No, that's it, Doc. You know, I'm. So, what do we say? You know, you you know that you just laid out a lot of history, and here we are in the 21st century right now. We need to get to herd immunity. Yes, this virus is new, and so just like the flu or any other virus that we as humankind are trying to tame, <laughs> so that we can live, we're never going to get rid of. So, COVID is never going away. Okay. So we need to just go and put that out there right now. But can we live with it in the same way that we're living with flu, albeit people still can die of the flu, but we have decreased those numbers because we have a vaccine. So that can you so vaccines are not a cure. See, people no. need to understand that vaccines Ooh. don't cure. Please say that again. It's, it's not a cure because people think that not just black people, just overall no. people think, oh, God, I'm going to get this vaccine and that is it. No, it is no. not it. it. I want people to think of it in, in that it helps the body to cope, to right. better be able to withstand, but it is not a cure. And so as we, you know, talk about evolution or I don't know if they, they wouldn't necessarily call it an evolution in the, in the medical field, Doc, I'm, I, mm-hmm. I don't have a, a, a MD, so. No, uh, me but, neither. Mine's a PhD. It's, it's not the kind of doctor that can help you. Right, you know? Right, right. <laughs> but, you know, as the body adapts, maybe yes. that's the word I'm looking for. It makes maybe. the body better able to adapt and to withstand, but it's not a cure. So as we try to get to herd immunity, which we need, the experts say that we need between 73 to 75% in any given population, mm. people to take this, any ethnic or racial group, to take this so that we can get to herd immunity, given all that you just laid on us, Doc, mm-hmm. where do we go from here in, in trying to get there? And that there is to get more African-Americans and others yes. to take the vaccine so that we can get to herd immunity so that we can tame COVID-19. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then, trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I think the answer to that is it lies in drawing from what has been effective in other areas of human activity. I mean, your your life and your public career, I think, provides in part a blueprint for how you do that. In other words, what you don't do is do from top down. You can't have a one size fits all federal government policy because black folk looking like, yeah, OK, it ain't Trump. But Joe and Kamala, y'all can't do this. It's got to come from the inside out, which means the micro local. It's got to be the churches, the mosques, the community centers, the leaders who are street by street, block by block. The trust that has been engendered as a result of those long term relationships becomes the point of entry. And it truly is an American solution. What do I mean by that? I tell my students all the time it's kind of a it has a shock value. But then we start peeling it back. I said, this is not a nation. It's a state with many different nations in it. It's a federal state. Yes. So, and it's not even it's not even a state at the state level. I mean, all of Georgia is not the same. I'm saying, are you going to trust the governor? Or are you going to trust your block captain? You're going to trust the state legislature or are you going to trust the mothers in your church? In other words, now if I see my mama, my 92 year old mother, who's in Houston with my brother in law, my sister and my niece and nephew, if she roll up her sleeve, then they will roll up their sleeves because ain't nobody going to put their mama right. in risk. You know what I'm saying? But if my mother's pastor <laughs> is going to take it and her uh, friends, all those prayer warriors on the mother's board <laughs> have been convinced, then everybody else is going to follow suit. That's but, it. Street cred. No, street credibility, right? And with all due respect to Sylvester Turner or to the governor or to the mayor of Houston, no, bro. It's got to come from that block. <laughs> you understand? And so what that means, so the federal government said, well, what do you want us to do? We want you to repurpose those resources. Listen to those people who have been sent to Washington, D.C. to represent their districts. And you turn those resources over to the local folk and get out of their way. We know it works in electoral politics. We know it works in every other fashion. So it's going to work with public health as well. Sure. So with all due respect, Dr. Fauci seems like a nice man. But I don't know. I don't know Tony Fauci. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Now, yes. I, I know, you know, I know the president of my chapter of Alpha Phi Alpha. I know who this brother here is, this Prince Hall Mason. I know who those sisters are in the Order Eastern Star. Tony Fauci, I saw him on TV. Yeah. But then again, the idea becomes, so what you shooting his arm? Yeah, okay. Is that what I'm going to get? Yes. Yeah, no, that's all right. <laughs> right. I'm going with you. <laughs> yeah, so we yeah. both going down here together. And so I think that's really what it has to happen. If it's so not we that need way, some, I don't see a we solution. Need some, we need some big mama credibility on this. Big mama credibility. And only, as we both know, sis, yeah. only big mama has big mama credibility. So I you got to get big mama right. on your side. You got to get <laughs> big mama on your side. No, and, and, it can't, and it can't be a, a surgeon general saying big mama from the White House. Right. No, no, no. no. Not that big mama. <laughs> no the real, question. With a real big mama's please stand up. With a real big mama's please stand up. <laughs> right. That's right. And give them the money. Or roll up the sleeve. Yeah. No question. Give them the yeah. money and give them the platform. Give them the money and the platform and yeah. the resources. That's no, right. Doc, that, that makes 
Oh my God, so much sense. And just my final, um, is there anything that we can learn from policies both here in the U.S. and some policies from our sisters and brothers abroad? Is there anything? Oh yeah, there, there is. There, there, there's a lot we can learn. The question is, will we learn it? I, and by that, I mean, right now, in terms of the latest data, I'm, you know, we're all looking at all these dashboards, the universities, the World Health Organization, which, of course, the head of the World uh, Health Organization, Dr. Tedros, is Ethiopian. Uh, we're looking at these dashboards and latest information looks like, for example, in the United States, they're saying that 200, about 227 people per 100,000 have contracted COVID. That number in Cuba is 47 but you can't say Cuba because that's a four letter word in the United States. So in other words, okay, so you would rather risk your life than ask somebody 90 miles off the coast of Florida what they're doing. Yes, because they're coming. Okay, now see, now, hey, now here's where you mess up. You're going to put your life at risk. And then, of course, uh, you look at Jamaica right now, it's about 62 per 100,000 in terms of the data. Um, we have to understand that what you just said about herd immunity in the United States does us no good if the rest of the world doesn't get it. Come on, Doc. You, now you better talk about that. <laughs> you I mean, because the pandemic ain't done nothing else. It is definitely clarified in our time with the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said when he said what affects one directly Come on, affects sis. us all indirectly. This is a war. It's called a pandemic for a reason. That's right. Come on, come on, come yeah. on, Senator Turner. In fact, yes. that one of those last chapters in his book, Where Do We Go From Here? Chaos of Community, mm. is called mm. The World House. Yes. <laughs> a, a pandemic don't know no race. A pandemic will wipe us all out. About. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's a little disturbing because even as we're having this conversation, we see, for example, in South Africa, the South African government, they have suspended use of the AstraZeneca. They're going to move to Johnson Johnson because, of course, that new strain that they're battling in South Africa, they're seeing that the AstraZeneca is not nearly as effective. So there's and then, of course, now you see the World Health Organization, you see the African Union crying out because they're saying, look, because this is what happened. This was happening among a lot of our fam in Africa, particularly these young folk are saying, so let me get this straight. These vaccines were good enough for you to come over here and experiment on us and try out. You saw the president of uh, France saying, oh, yeah, we can experiment. Yes, okay. he did. But now we can't get the shot once you get it. Are you serious? I mean, so this country has to, having rejoined the WHO and all this other stuff, this country has to be part of the leadership in making sure that there is an equitable distribution of this vaccine worldwide. That's because, true. you know, if this country is made up, everybody here except our First Nations can, the Aboriginals came from somewhere else and many of them people still got folks other places. So if you ever thinking about getting on a plane again in your life, you better make sure everybody who's at the airport at the place you're landing got their yeah. vaccine. So so we, we, we gotta be thinking about the world even as we're thinking about ourselves. Amen to that. Thinking about the world even as we are thinking about ourselves. Dr. Carr, you did that. No, no. Hello, somebody. Yeah, hello, hello, somebody. Hello, yes. everybody on this yes. one. Everybody. Yes. We calling on everybody. Most Doc, you are no. brilliant and no. just full of life. No. We're I, following you. We're following you, Senator. Seriously. Thank you. Thank well, you for everything. You I are a gift. You, you really are a blessing. And we, we are going to do this again. Might not do it every week, but we are doing it. No, no, no. Yeah, whenever. 
Next week on Hello Somebody, we have a frank discussion with physician Dr. Victoria Dooley. There are tons of reasons why African-Americans do not trust the medical professionals. And Howard University student Erica England. So I'm not even sure if when I got the COVID test the first time, if I if my health insurance was covered then. About debunking vaccination myths. Hello Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Because we all know we can't go back to that world we were in. <laughs> oh, no, ain't no going back. You know, they talking about bring things to normal. No, normal wasn't working for a whole bunch of folks, and we ain't going back there. We're going to do something with that? this crisis. How Never about let, that? <laughs> Never let a good crisis go to waste. That's how no I was told the politics. No question. No <laughs> question. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.